This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 315 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today. I am recording this in my house because I am. On the road right now uh, at the Tucson Book Festival in, in Arizona, getting away from our uh, cold, cold weather for a little bit. So I uh, wanted to get this in so that you guys didn't have to wait an extra day for an episode. So uh, today's episode is an interview I did with our wonderful friend, Mallory O'Meara. We have talked about Mallory endlessly on the podcast. Uh, she co-hosts the Reading Glasses podcast, which we love. She's been on the podcast before talking about Halloween uh, horror books and she's just a wonderful person. Um, she's a really cool bookish nerd just like us and wildly talented. And she's written a new book called The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which we get all into during the actual meat of today's episode. It's all about the woman who created the concept for the uh, design of The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is just a really cool story. Mallory is deeply intertwined with the creator. Uh, There's a lot of through lines between their lives, which are really unique and interesting, and we get into. Um, And we also just have a bunch of fun because she's a wonderful person, and I love chatting with her. One little quick note, um, early on in the episode, you may hear the uh, sound quality switch a little bit and sound a little bit different. Uh, she was on the phone at the beginning of the episode, and we were having a little bit of issues, so we switched over to Skype. So that's why slightly different sound quality than normal on that part there. So um, I think that's everything. If you have thoughts on this or any other episode, as always, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com, visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com, or find us on the Twitters and the Instagrams at probooknerds. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. If you missed our last episode, it's all of our March books that we're excited about since it's now yet another month flying by. So be sure to check that out and let us know if you need any recommendations. Okay. I think that's just about everything. I hope you have a wonderful Monday. Again, happy March. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with our good, good buddy, Mallory O'Meara on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Adam, and I know that I say that I'm really excited for every single interview, but this one is very, very special because it's with a wonderful friend of the show who has her own reading podcast that we talk about all the time. Today, I'm joined by Mallory O'Meara, who is so many things. You are the co-host of the Reading Glasses podcast, which is my favorite podcast. You're a film producer, and you have a, a movie coming out, or I think it actually just came out, and the thing we're first going to talk about is you have a book coming out that is so, so wonderful called The Lady from the Black Lagoon, and we are going to jump all into it. But first, Mallory, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, 
sometimes podcasters just become podcast friends and me and Bria love professional book nerds so so much and it's funny because we come out on the same day so getting to come on this show to talk about Lady from the Black Lagoon is just so incredible for me I always I do always joke with people admittedly I'm like hey okay did you listen to us all right now go talk to the people from reading glasses I keep waiting this has happened a few times with um, our, one of our other podcasting friends, 88 Cups of Tea, but I keep waiting for us to have the same author on at the same day, which happens every once in a while, just because I think that would be very, very hilarious. It would be very, very funny. <laughs> I hope someday we get to do, like, a live show together. Oh, man, that is... let's. Well, I think, you know, put it out in the world, and then, and then it'll happen, so that's what you just did. And speaking of that, I want to get into your book. So first, describe your book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, for our listeners, and then we'll get into how it came to be. So Lady from the Black Lagoon is a nonfiction book. It's sort of like Julie and Julia, but for monsters. <laughs> it is a biography of a woman named Millicent Patrick, who she designed the creature from the Black Lagoon, but that was really just the tip of the iceberg of her life. She uh, was the first female animator at Disney. She grew up at Hearst Castle. She's this incredible artist. But after she designed the creature from the Black Lagoon, a jealous male colleague with her at Universal uh, was so jealous of all of the things that were happening for her that he fired her and she never worked behind the scenes in Hollywood ever again and nobody knew what happened to her. So I spent years of my life privately investigating her and researching her and so the book is also about my search for her and also sort because I'm a filmmaker and just sort of my stories that are reflections on the things that she had to deal with and how things really haven't changed that much in Hollywood. And so can you kind of share, and you, and you talk about this in the book, but can you share with everybody how the idea kind of about writing the book came along? Because as a, a fellow uh, haver of tattoos, it's something that made me smile a lot. Yeah, it's such a crazy story. So I, uh, Millicent Patrick has been a hero of mine since I was a teenager, and I'm a huge monster nerd. And so, and she was always the only woman I had ever seen working behind the scenes on a monster movie. So she'd always been this sort of a talisman to me as a, a symbol of, the, of me belonging in this world I love so much. I was in my early 20s. I got a tattoo of her. And a few weeks after I got the tattoo, I was at a party in New York City and I was talking to a literary agent friend of mine. And he was like, hey, I saw this picture on your Facebook that you got a new tattoo. Who is this woman? And I started telling him all about her. And he was like, wow, you should write that book. And I laughed. And he says, no, 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 you should write that book. And I did. <laughs> I, you, you mentioned that Nelson's kind of always been a hero for you. And people will discover when they read the book that there's so little information out there about her so you said you've always been a monster nerd and, and I kind of pride myself on being the same but hers is a name that until I learned that you were writing this book and then you know got my own copy of it she was someone that I'd never really heard of so how did you sort of initially discover her before you started doing all the research about her for her life so Oh, the interesting thing about the internet is that it can be great, it can and it can also be terrible. And the good thing <laughs> was that uh, once uh, you know fan culture really started taking over on uh, the internet, someone had put up these photos of Millicent working behind the scenes on the creature, like her with the creature suit, her, her with the creature head. So the photos had always kind of circulated, but they never really caught on. So it was one of those things that if you were a hardcore monster nerd and you really went looking, you could find her. 
that's what I did when I was a teenager. I first saw Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I was just sort of looking for trivia and, like, looking for any information I could find about how the movie was made. But the problem was I saw this picture of her, but there was no information about, you know, where to find out more, like, more about her life, more about her work. It was just sort of like a very tantalizing dead end um, and then, so for, for you, like when you, you know, you, like you said, it's a tantalizing dead end. It's someone where you didn't really see a lot of her before you shared her story. So you have this incredible tattoo. Someone says you should really write that book. How do you go about doing the research? And, and I know I'm, I don't want to kind of, you know, spoil a lot of your book here, but th- there's so many kind of roadblocks that you had to get past and it just... For someone who might be interested in writing a similar story like this, like how, like where did you start? You're, you know, you're, you do all the stuff in film, and you have a podcast. You do a million different things in your life, but you are not an, you know, an investigatory journalist, as Zoolander would say. Like, how did you start getting going with finding what you needed to find? I definitely am not an investigator. Honestly, I just threw everything I could the wall you know for a lot of people it's very difficult to ask for help and it was hard especially nowadays we all feel so capable because you can just look up whatever you want online but with Millicent I couldn't do that she she didn't even the page which I will say to listeners she does now but it, I don't know who made it filled with error that's actually correct so I started asking friends of mine who had you know Luckily, as a filmmaker, I know a lot of filmmakers. I know a lot of film historians. I know a lot of people who know people. I just was the first thing I did was start sending all kinds of emails to people who knew, you know, more point direction. And uh, the other thing was libraries and librarians. I could not have written this book without the Los Angeles Public Library. I could not even begin to afford to amount to buy all the drinks I would need to buy for every librarian that <laughs> helped me. It, you know, I just asked them for help, and they not only me how to research better and pointed me in the right direction, but they were able to connect me to other people and connect me to sources and resources that I would have dreamed of that I would be able to find. There's so many really crazy parts about her life that I found fascinating. One, I've also, in addition to also being a a monster nerd and a book nerd, I'm kind of a nerd about Hearst Castle, which is something that I did not know that she was connected to. So the two things that I really loved about her early life is she was connected to Hearst Castle and she also was connected to Disney. So can you maybe like just kind of, I want people to sort of have an idea of this person who there is so little information about, but she's connected to so many big things. So the interesting thing about Millicent Patrick's life is that she was this amazing, like cross section of so many different kinds of history with her life. Like, like I said before, the creature from the black lagoon is really just the tip of the iceberg. And so her father was a man named Camille Rossi, and he was the superintendent of engineering at Hearst castle for 10 years during most of her childhood. So that's really where her formative years were, were on this estate for really that William Randolph Hearst, which is America's first media mogul. You know, that's, where it started out as his, as his summer home and it just became this like incredible and opulent estate that you know Charlie Chaplin hung out at and like celebrities and politicians and like so that those were her formative years and I can't really think of anywhere else she could have gone besides Hollywood to compete with that <laughs> um, 
So right out of the gate, her first job was Disney. So right, like after she went to college at the Chouinard Institute for Art, Disney handpicked her and hired her there. So she worked on some incredible Disney projects, and like that again, that was her first job. It was crazy. <laughs> it's and I think you kind of mentioned it, like growing up sort of in the shadow of, of Hearst Castle and having all these people around, and then her first job being for Disney, like. I have to imagine throughout her life when she, you know, whether it was on Creature or anything else she was doing or after, you know, when kind of had, when she disappeared a little bit because men aren't so great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to imagine like her upbringing helped her sort of roll the punches a little bit, like not really ever be too like, you know, stars or deer in headlights when she meets someone or I, I just feel like that the craziness of growing up there had to have helped a lot later on in life. Oh yeah. I think that was where she was most comfortable. And I think that's why she took to Hollywood so quickly. And she just sort of really seamlessly, you know, as she started working there and working more in film, you know, just sort of got into that world. Like she had so many celebrity friends and she like, that was just her life. But it like, again, that was really where that was like her comfort place. That's where she was grew up. I really loved what you did with this book where you told Millicent's story and, you know, from beginning to end, but you also put in your own story of being involved in the film industry and kind of the step-by-step, the the things that you've gone through and and things that other, you know, women have, have gone through as well. And I'm just curious when you were writing out the story and and working with your editor and things like that did you always intend to have it be kind of this this dual story because it very much is not even really a dual story it's really like there's three parts there's your story about what you've gone through there's things that Millicent went through and then you also have sort of like the um almost like a national treasure sort of a (laughs) a journey of how you found her information as well was that kind of always intended no, actually, that's the really interesting part. This book evolved so much. It, it really just started out as a straightforward biography. But as I was writing it and I was talking to other like friends of mine about working on it, uh, I have a friend of mine who was not a monster fan. And she was oh, she, one of the questions she had for me. She was like, you know, Mallory, I know the story means a lot to you, but if I'm, if someone who wasn't interested in monsters wanted to read this book, like, why does her story matter? And the first thing out of my mouth was because it's what happened to her is still happening to female filmmakers and women everywhere right now. And she's like, you probably should address that at some point. And the best way I knew how to do that was to give my own experiences because it's so easy to look back on this woman. I mean, the events of this, like her, all this stuff happened to her in the, in the 1950s. So it's really easy to look back and go, Oh yeah, you know, it's so sad that this thing happened to her, but that's how things were back then. But it's not just how things were back then. It's how things are still now. And and then it just, as the, the more I put, the more stories I put in there, uh, it just sort of started to flow. And that's why it's, it's kind of started to become a Julie and Julia situation <laughs> where, and it just made the book come alive a little bit more to me and made it seem a little bit more urgent and made it uh, a lot, of, a little, little bit more relevant. Urgent's a really good, I completely agree. That's a perfect word because to me, it almost felt like it's so rare to read nonfiction books that feel kind of cliffhanger-y, cliffhanger-y. And, 
that's how I felt with your book is every single time I get to the end of a chapter, whether it was things that you've gone through or, you know, you sitting in a library frantically writing stuff down, hoping to get stuff down before a deadline or hearing her her story, like the fa- the way that you sort of, you know, kind of put them one after the, after the other. It, it's really it was really well done. I'm sure that had a lot to do with you working with your editor about laying out the format of the story. But it, it does. It's it makes it become a nonfiction story that feels like there is there is urgency, despite the fact that it is chiefly about a woman who is you know unfortunately no longer with us. Yeah. Well, again, it's uh, well. First, I have to credit my editor, Peter Joseph at Hanover Square Press, for the format. He that was entirely his idea, and he's just a genius, and I'm so lucky to work with him. Uh, but also, like you know, we there's right now there's a lot of amazing stories coming out about women who have been working in male dominated industries. But I didn't want it to just be a okay. Here's the story. I also wanted to show people how that story, how those these things that happened decades ago are still affecting our culture right now, and also what we can do about them and how they affect everybody. And again, that was like the best way I knew how to do that was to just say, "Hey, look, look what happened to me. Here's a story that happened to me six months ago." So what was? I, I love asking people when they do a lot of research about like the most interesting thing that they discovered but i feel like her entire life is incredibly interesting like what's the most wild thing you discovered about millicent while you were doing your research for this project oh my gosh so much yeah it was uh, it's crazy about millicent patrick because just her designing the creature from the black lagoon alone would have been interesting enough for me to write a book about her but it felt like everything i uncovered it was just like people are gonna think that i made this up because her life was just so incredible her story is really larger than life i may i think maybe and i don't want to spoil it for the the listeners Mm -hmm. but it has to be what she worked on at disney and you know what i'm talking about yes especially because you know the tattoos that i have Uh uh the finding out what there was one movie and one uh one part of this movie in particular that she worked on that just completely blew me away and it was I, I'm still reeling from it, to be honest. And there's a lot of things in the book. There's a couple of things that I didn't put in because I thought that people wouldn't believe them. Uh, <laughs> like, for instance, the day I got the tattoo of her was her 100th birthday. <laughs> oh, my God. And I didn't plan it. I had no idea until years later. I, listen, the the part about the of that you're discussing that I'm also going to tiptoe around so I don't give anything away because it is so Like, you were meant to write this her her story i honestly like i i don't you know there's a lot of i have lots of issues with religions and things like that but i all i very much believe in a lot sometimes things happen for a reason like you were meant to write this story oh i completely agree and that's why it's so funny a lot of people are asking me if i would ever write another biography and i need i i actually do have another biography planned but it's going to take me a long time to get to it because there, Millicent and I have so many weird things in common, and I feel so close to her. Uh, I also am not a religious person, but uh, this book was such an emotional experience for me. And I get a lot of people who've been uh, getting in touch with me and say, oh, my God, your book made me cry. I'm like, don't feel bad. It still makes me cry, and I wrote it. <laughs> I cried every single time I finished a draft. I cried every single time I finished a, a round of edits or page proofs. It, like This has been such an intense book for me. And again, there's just so many weird, th- like one of the things that I haven't, I didn't put in the book is that uh, the the book comes out on the exact 65, 65th anniversary of Creature from the Black Lagoon coming out. That is, 
I, I every single day, every date of this is like is perfect. And I, I will say, uh, being far, far removed from your process, but still getting a version of the book and and getting to read it, I, I think I I think I, I told this to you already. Um, so I don't feel like I'm gonna make you get emotional as for telling you a second time. But like, I feel like the biggest compliment I can give you about this book is you wrote a story about a woman I'd never heard of, and when you get to the end of her life, at the end of the book, I was crying, and it's just like oh, Adam. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to dance around it so I don't make you emotional while we're talking about it. But, like, I think that's, like, the highest compliment you can pay someone is you wrote a book about a person I'd never heard of, and I was emotionally connected to her story by the end of it. And when you were talking about the research, I feel like I want to make sure people really understand how much, like, how much you had to do. Her story was so hard to find that, I mean, she had multiple names that she went by. Like, you were literally tracking down, you know, multiple people to try and find this story. Oh, yeah, it was she went through a bunch of name changes. So by the time that I was at the end of my research, when I was looking through new databases, I would have to put in like seven different names and different combinations of names. And she got went, went through so many marriages. So it was finding Millicent Patrick. It was like part Indiana Jones, part national treasure, <laughs> part private investigator. It was and I also like I spent all of my savings. I spent like uh, almost and, and I was still researching up until like the last moment where the book uh, the final final version was being sent in so three years all of my savings it was just I put everything I had into this book uh, do you remember and I'm like I'm just bouncing around just because I it's so fascinating to me but like do you remember the first time you saw Creature from the Black Lagoon because it's admittedly it's not a movie that like I, I will qualify us both as atypical children, I'm assuming, since I also saw it when I was very young. But, like, it's not a movie that, like, nor- like normal young people would see. So do you remember, like, the first time you saw it and, and what it meant to you and kind of why it stuck with you? Oh, yeah. So I was a teenager when I saw it. And it was the first time I, and I'm, you know, just like you, I'm a monster nerd. I love horror movies. And the thing that really struck me about the creature from the Black Lagoon is that the creature isn't the villain. He is not the antagonist in this in this movie, and that's so rare. You know, it's this there's another human who's the bad guy, and the creature is just sort of this primal force, and he's been disturbed. And when I was a teenager watching this, and there's this very specific scene where the creature is swimming underneath Julie Adams, who's plays Kay Lawrence, and he's just you could see how he all, all he wants to do is be with her. But he's lurking in the bottom of this black lagoon. And I was like, oh, my God, I am a pimply, nerdy teenager. That's how I feel every single day walking around in the halls. And it just resonated with me so, so much. And I think part of that also is due to Millicent's creature design, making the creature look so empathetic and almost human. And it just made me feel like, oh, my God, this movie speaks to me so so much and it's still i mean it's still a little cheesy it was a sci-fi movie made in the 1950s but i think it really holds up because of that no i i completely agree and i feel like a lot of the the universal movie monsters i I feel like they're all of them are they're none of them are like one note characters even though they might seem like they are like an initial like first thought when you see frankenstein's monster you're like okay it's just a, a thoughtless thing that's that's violent but it's not and like the invisible man and you know bride of frankenstein i feel like and and dracula especially as well i feel like all of these characters have such lasting you know lasting parts of our society because 
they have things that we can connect with, even though obviously none of us are, you know, creatures living underwater or anything like that. They, they are relatable in ways that people might not initially think. Oh, completely, and that's that's why that's why I think these monsters became the classic monsters. I mean, there's a lot of monster movies made in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and some of them are really bad and are kind of forgotten unless you're a huge you know monster geek. <laughs> but the classic ones are have stuck around for a reason. I really think they resonate with people. I'm curious. Do you think that like I I can't think of like, are there remakes of Creature from the Black Lagoon? Because obviously. Dracula and, and Frankenstein and they've been redone over and over but I like I know that there was a second movie but have they like redone any of these in the last couple of of decades now creature is the only uh, universal mo- classic monster that has never been remade or rebooted it's the only one seems like they're waiting for um I don't know like a female in the industry to maybe like redesign it Mallory I'm just saying Cough, 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 cough. <laughs> I, ho- Hollywood, I am available to write that screenplay if anyone is listening. Uh, speaking of screenplays, I, before I ask you some other bookish questions, can you tell everyone about your your feature film that is, I think, at time of recording, is going to be out for people to be able to see? Yes, uh, it comes out March 4th in theater, in select theaters across the country. Uh, it's a movie called Yamasong, March of the Hollows, and it is sort of like Dark Crystal meets Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. It is a live-action puppet film, so it's if you are a Labyrinth fan, if you are Jim Henson's Creature Shop fan, this is the movie for you. It has Whoopi Goldberg, George Decay, Nathan Fillion in it as a voice talent, and it's like a sci-fi fantasy family movie, and I produced it, I developed it i'm super super proud of it i'm just and i'm excited that it's out it's just a very overwhelming because it comes out starts playing in theaters the day before my book comes out i I literally just gonna say that i'm like march for me it's like mal it's like mallory month i have told my wife about this multiple times i'm like yeah so her book comes out and then i was just describing because i also much like the the movie thing i feel like we were meant at some point in our lives to become friends because i am a massive jim henson fan fan and i i have watched your trailer so many times it looks (laughs) so good i it honestly it looks just so amazing um, yeah, I'm so, so proud of it. It's just, it's like, again, it's so funny. We completely did not plan it. I have been working on both of these projects for <laughs> almost four years. They just happened to come out within 24 hours of each other. And when I found that out, I was like, well, I guess I'm not sleeping in March. I was going to say, you just have like a totally stress-free week here in a month. It'll be, it'll be great. There's nothing to worry about at all. Oh yeah, it's totally fine. I'm definitely sleeping a lot and definitely not, you know, running around like my head is on fire. So has there been something in the process of writing and now kind of promoting the book and things that you have found yourself enjoying that you weren't expecting before it actually all happened? Uh, in the promoting or in the writing? Um, I guess really any of it. Like, was there something unexpected that you you didn't think was going to happen that you you found yourself like a kind of like a happy surprise? It could be during the writing. It could be over the last couple of months when you've been promoting really anything. I just whatever like surprised you, I guess. 
I guess I've been, I mean, I, I've been very surprised by the reaction to the books, both the good and the bad. Um, I think, because I have gotten, a, there's a lot of angry men mm-hmm. who are very angry about my book. <laughs> and uh, I was, I guess I should have expected it, but it's. I think it's always a surprise when someone hates your book mm-hmm. and tells you about it. Uh, and you're just like, okay, uh, thanks, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, good talk. I, uh, my uh, my training is from being a woman on the internet has helped me uh, with that. <laughs> but the thing that has what that has completely balanced that out is that I was you know from this is the kind of book that I always wanted to write uh, and I always wanted to read. So getting uh, feedback from people who are like you, who are monster fans, who are female <laughs> filmmakers, who are uh, nerds about any part of. Uh, the like any part of the world that Millicent's life touched, uh, who have written to me and said, "Oh my God, I feel like this book was written for me." I, I'm just it's a, one. Of, this is my first book, and I'm like, feel like feels like it's like a weird version of having your first kid, where I'm just doing this all for the first time, and I was just so surprised at how emotional that was going to make me, and how you know when you're writing this stuff, you're just like, "Well, I hope somebody likes it." <laughs> but hearing from like people, both people I know and people I don't, who love it, I was just like wow, this is amazing. I, I feel like I did, did the right thing and it made everything worth it. And yeah, it's just been, it's just, you know, when someone likes something that you did, it's so surprising because you just, you just have no idea how the world's going to react. Well, I, I am pretty confident that the people who go and get this book are going to absolutely love it. It's amazing. Um, before I let you go, I I know we, we had you on when we did the the horror recommendations, but I don't think we did our Nerd 9 questions with you at the end of that episode. I don't... We did not. I didn't think so. Okay. So I'm going to make you go through these really quickly. Um, don't give them a lot of thought. No. I think most of these are going to be pretty easy for you just looking at them. But well, the first one is, uh, what's the last book you finished reading? Uh, I just finished the audiobook of How to Be Alone by Lane Moore. Do you have a favorite place to read? Uh, we have, if you look on Instagram, me and my partner live a very, live in a very weird house. Uh, so we have, uh, a ball pit and on top of the ball pit is a jungle gym that my partner, Alan, made into a reading den for me. That's just filled with pillows and string lights. And that is currently my favorite place to read. That is the actual best answer to that question that's ever existed. (laughs) Um, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading as a kid? Yes, the Boxcar Children, uh, the uh, the first volume one, the first Boxcar Children book. Uh, I read when I was a, I oh caught I was so young. I can't even remember how old I was. I must have been maybe eight, and it was the first novel that I had ever completed. And that feeling of like, oh my god, I just read a book, was so addictive, and that just completely changed my life. <laughs> um, how about what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh my gosh, uh, so many, basically everywhere. Uh, I think right now the top place is in New Zealand, uh, no, not just because I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd, but because <laughs> it is so, so beautiful, and it also takes uh, a long time to get there, so it's like a very special place to go to. Um, so I all I want to do is just go there and see the beautiful scenery and just read a bunch, and yeah, that's my top de- destination right now. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Oh, Halloween. Mm. Easy. Coffee or tea? (laughs) Coffee. Black coffee. Uh, Anyone who follows your Instagram or anything will know this one, but cats or dogs? You know, I I sort of swing both ways, but I am very pro-cat. We have seven cats, and my (laughs) cat, Lula, is my... She's my daemon. She is my Mm -hmm. soulmate. Mm -hmm. So I guess I have to say cats. If you just said dogs, I would have laughed so hard. I would... (laughs) 
Um, do you have a favorite food? Uh, tacos. And then I'm guessing I know the answer to this one as well, but if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Ooh, Shirley Jackson. Wow, I thought you were going to say Millicent, but Shirley Jackson also is very on brand. I think the problem uh, the problem with Millicent is if I met her, I would just burst into tears. <laughs> I'd have to work up to Millicent. I would have to have, like, brunch with Shirley Jackson and then, like, take a deep breath and then have dinner with Millicent. <laughs> Best day ever. Um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope that readers take away from reading your book? I, I hope that readers take away both that you can you belong wherever you want to go. You belong in any industry that you want to be in. And also for people, you know, there's a lot of things happening right now where like the movie Hidden Figures and the book Hidden Figures and, uh, you know, that, oh, my God, women have been doing these things. And I really want to ram home that women have been working and wanting to work in every single industry since time immortal. Like everyone, like we've always been able to do these things. That is absolutely perfect. Mallory, congratulations again. I, the book is amazing. I love it so much. I'm so excited for everyone else to discover it. And I am super happy that I got to chat with you for a while. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com. And our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save.